Thank you, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. And we're back. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to be here. We are back in action with a rundown of some choice excerpts from Volume 2 of Secrets of Power, written by the man, the mystic, the magnificent Ingo Swan. For Volume 2, I'm going to keep this discussion to the excerpts themselves a lot more than I did last time, and bring a couple of chapters in for each episode to keep our individual empowerment momentum train a-moving. We are here to level up, so let's just go ahead and do it. Let's launch this maglev. Without further ado, our first segment has got four excerpts from the author's notes. We kick it off with a reminder of our species-wide power situation in particular, as it concerns reality boxes. And away we go. While it is the case that societal power structures can initiate this or that reality box cloning and management, it is the human species that has the generic and innate power to manufacture reality boxes of any kind. After all, wheresoever humans are or go, there also will be found reality boxes of this or that kind, and nowhere can be found a human that is entirely reality box-less. In that this is so, it is the better part of valor to assume that whatever the species has downloads into each and all specimens of it. It is thus that we find all individuals have reality boxes, whether of the tattered or highly organized kind. Because of the magnitude involved, the innate species power of manufacturing reality boxes is a wondrous thing. It is a power in and of itself to construct these reality boxes, our mental Ben Franklin multicolored glasses from National Treasure. To see or not see, whatever these boxes contain or exclude. The more we recognize these powers as powers, the more powers we can become aware of and recognize. Like a sandwich, it stacks and builds on itself and becomes more delicious with each layer. On to excerpt number two. At least part of an answer here is that it is difficult to see how individuals can function at all unless they are born with an innate spectrum of powers, a spectrum that, furthermore, is quite extensive, as will be considered in the text ahead. Just because a large number of those powers can be rendered non-operational by social conditioning should not be taken as proof positive that a spectrum of innate powers does not exist in each individual. This author posits and accepts that all individuals born of our species are born with a rather large spectrum of innate powers. 
especially that of mind intelligence, and which requires the support of several subsidiary kinds of powers. But it is also posited that few realize what the fuller spectrum of their powers are because there is no place one can consult in order to find out what they are. And the continuing absence of detailed encyclopedias about human powers will ensure the perpetuation of this particular kind of non-knowledge. Aha, <laughs> lovely reminder that we as a power species have innate access to a spectrum of powers. And I think uh, that's an interesting way, a much more interesting way to consider awareness and experience as beings having a human being experience as a whole. I am currently going through the book Deciphering the Senses, which Ingo recommends you check out in both of these volumes of Secrets of Power. And it's really interesting. The authors do a really nice job of giving you a jaunt through history about how we perceived our ways of perceiving. And uh, right now I'm in the uh, section of pain, uh, which is fascinating in the way that our perception mirrors our scientific and technological prowess and understanding. Long story short, we seem to come to the tentative conclusion that and uh, the section before pain was about taste, that uh, regardless of how we might be able to almost nail down particular categorical measurements or delineations of sweet, salty, sour, and savory, I think was the fourth one. And when it comes to pain, itching, pressure, heat, that ends up being inadequate because the further we look into the systems, the more complex and multifaceted the systems become in that there is a blending and mixing and divvying up and like colors on a painter's palette, mixing two very distinct experiences makes a whole complete other experience. It's not just these two experiences smooshed together. Again, like a sandwich, two pieces of bread with some ham in the middle, all of a sudden becomes more than its constituent parts. Put a little mustard in there. You got some lettuce, some tomato. If you're down with the dill pickles, you know, slice, slice, give that crunch. And the book itself does go on to say, the more we explore our senses, the more we see that it is a spectrum. And to look at this spectrum through the, and we'll steal a term from Ingo Swan, the reality box of wholeness the closer and closer we, we seem to be able to adequately understand our system setup. So yeah, our experience and our power set rests within a massive spectrum that we only have a very limited tasting of thus far. But the more we become aware of it, the more we can start to experience the finer flavors on that spectrum. So that social conditioning, being successful enough to tamp down the access to the awareness by no means gives evidence to them not existing, those being our powers, only that our societies seem to be structured in a way to take a baseball bat to the knees of our psi and other subtle senses and abilities. A point Ingo makes 
often and in many wonderful ways throughout these two volumes. It's extremely heartening to me, however, that even with the best efforts of this or that power structure sewn into society, stifling our senses, we still are having countless experiences of them, spontaneous, trained, innately talented, or otherwise. To me, this only speaks to the real high level of power residing in all of us, just waiting to be tapped. Okay, to excerpt three we go. It is, of course, important to learn how to better survive and function within social contexts, and so there's nothing intrinsically amiss with such aims. But there are important distinctions to be made between social context empowerment and the contexts of innate human powers in general. And in fact, it can be discerned or intuited that recognition and enhancement of one's own innate powers can magnify one's empowerment in social contexts. Now that is just a lovely view and reminder that the more we better ourselves as individuals, psi powers in particular, but really just in general, the more we can magnify our effect within societal structures and social contexts. Better yourself. It will only serve you. And uh, wrapping up the author's notes here is excerpt four, giving us the top-down view of the second volume as a whole. The contents of this volume are thus based in the observable fact that the human species possesses a large range of powers and that these, in formative essence, download into each individual born of the species. At least some of these powers are so innately basic that no individual can achieve any kind of operational or functional survival without them, and it is a discussion of some of these basic powers innately present in all individuals which provide the principal contents of this volume. A working definition of human powers is best established as innate, inborn sources of supplying energy, and which sources are capable of magnification, of decrease, of being latent and untapped, and of being de-energized or depowered. I love that definition, innate inborn sources of supplying energy. I'm also going through a very interesting book, uh, ebook, which my brother put me on to, entitled Miracle Mastery. And the book does a nice job of providing a perspective, a reality box view of how um, energy and matter really are two sides of the same coin, the same thing, the same bloop. Uh, do we have a word for what that is that is made up of both energy and matter, and that energy and matter really are the same thing. Anyway, that ties into how our idea, our definition of power is put together. These innate inborn sources of supplying 
energy. A neat little tidbit from that book, Miracle Mastery. It does say that uh, it takes a whole bunch of matter to make or affect energy, but it really only takes just a little bit of energy to affect matter. And the author uses the example of just that little electrical synapse movement triggering your muscle to lift potentially hundreds of pounds. Also doing all sorts of crazy, awesome acrobatic stuff. It only takes just a little bit of energy. Now, these sources are, as Ingo says, pliable, plastic. They can be increased or decreased depending on the reality boxes and environments they exist in and are perceived through. It pays to perceive through a pro-power reality box. Okay, quick break, and then we'll tap into the first two chapters of Volume 2 of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power. along the train tracks of empowerment, we are go for chapter one, and on to our chapter one excerpt. If even partially appreciated, the large extent of identifiable human powers at the species level clearly points up the fact that our species is over-endowed with respect to survival at the animal level. Indeed, our species does not need so many powers in order to merely survive, and many of the powers are in fact surplus with respect to the goal of mere physical survival. This brings up the question as to why the human species' life form should be over-endowed with a surplus of innate powers, not really needed for mere biological survival in terrestrial environments. It might seem, then, that the human power species is more designed to exist or coexist with respect to other species that are mind-dynamically equivalent to our own, and in which case our species' powers might not constitute a strange surplus, but a primal and appropriate necessity. Yes, we are over-endowed with respect to survival. We've got more powers than we know what to do with in our current power structure societal systems. So many more that the current systems are like, hey, hey, no, they don't exist. Shh, shh, quiet. What are these for? And I like how Ingo posits, gently, that we coexist with other species that are mind-dynamically equivalent to our own perhaps becoming aware of, cultivating, and nurturing these our latent powers 
that we can call in general vibe sensing, and more specifically telepathy, telekinesis, remote viewing, clairvoyance, bilocation and teleportation, pyro, cryo, and aerokinesis, all those forms and expressions of magic. And the list just keeps on going, maybe by getting into the weeds and training up, what we've got within us will, like dominoes, start a series of events that will open our lives collectively, as a species and individually, to a much wider world and open up more of the spectrum of experience in the universe. Could this include more conscious communication with others? I'd bet Bitcoin on it. All right, next up, we've got in total three excerpts from chapter two. Let's kick off that first one. While the foregoing discussions involve rather tough issues, the issue of individual empowerment is a tough one. If it were otherwise, then more individuals would succeed in individual empowerment. And this, in turn, has to do with the selection of self-power topics discussed in this volume. Although most do not pay much attention to the fact, our human species actually comprises a wondrous and awesome genome of bio-body, mind, energies, and innate powers. Indeed, as already mentioned, our species as a whole possesses powers far beyond in excess of those ordinarily used or are nurtured into functional activity. This clearly means that our species is, of all things, over-endowed with regard to mere physical survival on the planet Earth. So this one reiterates the first excerpt's point, but adds the prescient issue that while we may be over-endowed with power abilities as a power species, the individual empowerment paths are not gently rolled out for us, and this is difficult, at the very least, to start, and by design, as we discussed during our stroll through Volume 1. Now, the second excerpt from Chapter 2 brings our focus back to reality boxes. These frames of mind, or frames of reference, that quite literally frame our perceiving of reality and our world, both interior and exterior. Here we go. Whenever frames of reference are acquired, mentally duplicated and looked in, they tend to subside into the subconscious where they work in some sort of autonomic way that is not yet completely understood. The whole of this kind of thing then constitutes how reality boxes become set. Set, in this case, meaning settled, fixed, prescribed, determined, persistent, reluctant to change, obstinate, immovable, and rigid. Although the four points discussed above might be difficult to format in one's mind, it is common experience that one can look around and easily recognize the existence of fixed reality boxes in others. And indeed, as will gradually become apparent in the text ahead, recognizing fixed reality boxes in others is one of the most fundamental launch points for self-empowerment.
Reality boxes are one of the main big banners to look for and in others and eventually in ourselves. This idea that if there is someone you admire, you look up to, you want to emulate, then examine their reality boxes and start stacking them into your own set. They are nothing if not powerful, as Ingo says, subsiding into the subconscious and working in some kind of autonomic way. My ears always perk up and consider the reality box of someone when they say, I can't imagine, or that's impossible. To them and their reality boxes, it is. I also recently came across a neat description of uh, Harrison Ford's early experience when he first moved to Hollywood, when he wanted to become an actor. And he said, you know, I came here on the proverbial school bus with all of my proverbial classmates all wanting to become an actor, but they all seemed to, according to Harrison, be in a hurry. They all had this real high time horizon where they all wanted to make it big, make a splash, make lots of money. And he thought to himself, well, gee, if I just chill out and stretch out my time horizon and realize that I can outlast all of these other people, I can outlast all of these other people and I can actually eventually make it. And so he also picked up um, becoming a carpenter back when buying your own home was very affordable in that area. He was fixing up his own home in the Hollywood area and became a carpenter to the stars. He was working on something for Francis Ford Coppola as a carpenter when George Lucas famously tapped him and said, Hey, uh, hey uh, Harrison, uh, do, you want, do you want to read? Just, just be a reader for us. Uh. And apparently, after reading with 300 plus other actors to screen test for Star Wars, Harrison got the role of Solo. So that idea, that reality box, that frame of reference, that things are going to take a little while. Anything that you want is going to take a little while. It's not going to happen super quick. But you can outlast it and find success as long as you just recognize that you got to keep going and that as long as you keep going, no matter how long it takes, it'll take you there. I dig that. All right. The third and final excerpt from chapter two lays it down and reminds us of some truths to keep in mind, especially during these bumpier times on the ride. The foregoing scenario brings into question what the individual actually is with respect to power and empowerment. And if history can be relied upon, any societal power format is clearly a temporary one, whether shorter or longer, not only with respect to ongoing time, but also with respect to ongoing testing via familiar power competitions. The two points made above signify something that is hardly ever brought to light, that it is far easier to achieve a guise of empowerment within the contexts of some kind of power format one might enter into than it is to empower self as a discrete individual. Any power structure is a temporary one. That resonates with the ancient Chinese saying, the only thing that is constant is change. Always good to keep it in mind. Keeps your mind flexible and limber. And that second point in the final excerpt for this episode reminds us that the hill to climb for individual empowerment has a steeper incline compared to 
the prescribed paths of this or that power structure. The good news is, at least in my mind, is that unless you are checking out completely and holding up in a cave or a mountaintop, our experience is going to be a mixture. We have to live, and for me at least, I want to live in a place with other people. People are cool, with the caveat that they are open-minded, willing to consider others, respect civility, and are looking to bring out their best selves while not purposefully stepping on the fingers of those climbing behind them. We will always have ourselves, however, and that, I think, is important to focus on, too. It's what draws me to this and similar types of wisdom and information. Reminds me of that Billy Joel lyric from his song, My Life. Either way, it's okay you wake up with yourself. We always do. Why not enjoy it and look forward to a better awakening each time? Well, all right, that's it for this round, everybody. If you've enjoyed these excerpts, check out the two volumes of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power, in particular the audio versions narrated by me. Find a link on my website, mrdouglas.com, M-I-S-T-3-R-D-O-U-G-L-A-S.com. There should be a link in the description for them, too. You can find them on Amazon and Audible, and definitely, oh, definitely check out ingoswan.com, I-N-G-O-S-W-A-N-N.com, to discover more of Ingo's masterworks. I'm also rereading his book, Psychic Sexuality, at the moment, and it is a doozy. More on that in the future. As always, thanks for hanging. And more power to you.